Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ep 13 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you are listening to us. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, on today's show, we are joined by one of Australia's most decorated Paralympians, a woman who has overcome any obstacle put in her way throughout her career and is the very definition of what a role model should be. Of course, I'm talking about Miss Ellie Cole. During our chat today, we discuss her amazing swimming career, all the challenges along the way, life outside of the pool, trying other sports, as well as family, her coach, and a whole lot more. So set yourself up somewhere over the next 45 minutes. And if you're listening on your phone, please make sure it is fully charged. Because Ep 13 with Ellie Cole starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Joining us today on the show is one of Australia's most successful ever Paralympians. Competing at the past three games, she's earned herself 15 Paralympic medals, which is an extraordinary feat. Not only that, she's competed in multiple World Champs and Commonwealth Games and broken world records along the way. It is a very big welcome to Off the Block Swing podcast to Ellie Cole. How are you going, Ellie? Good. Thank you for giving me something to do in this fine day of isolation. Oh, mate, I'm not, stoked to be on. <laughs> not a trouble. It keeps me busy as well, mate. Keeps me entertained. We just chatted for about ten minutes even before we started the the interview. Desperate so. for some conversation. Exactly. <laughs> Mate, for all the listeners out there, I am coming to you guys today from the studios in Sydney. Um, where have we caught you? Uh, I'm in Sydney as well, but just at my apartment, not a studio or anything. Uh, mate, to be honest, it's not a studio. I'm in the garage um, and I've set up a lo- little, little bar area, so it's my own little private space. Well, as long to- as you've got a designated area, then it's a studio, right? Yeah, well, no one in the house respects it, though. They come in anyway and just charge through and they say this is it's a common area, so it doesn't well, really matter. Well, it's called matter. having kids, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, how are you going at the moment with this all this self-isolation stuff? How have you been coping? Um, yeah, listen, the first couple of days was really tricky, uh, I think, for everyone, just because I guess we had to create a new routine in like a situation that we didn't know how it was going to unfold. Um, but I think like the people I've been speaking to, particularly other athletes, have all settled in quite well. Um, and I'm loving it now. Like it's a bit of some time to myself, which I don't usually get. Have you got yeah. enough pasta and toilet paper and all that sort of stuff? Well, one of the greatest things about being a parasimmer is that obviously I have a disability. So I was up at 6.30 the other morning and went to uh, Cole's disability and elderly hour in my wheelchair of all things. <laughs> so, so you get <laughs> the early stock. Oh, mate. I had I had like this 70-year-old lady who was like, oh, darling, do you need some toilet paper? And I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it was the best day of my life. I can't believe how excited I got over toilet paper. Cheers. And that's when I knew the world had changed. Um, but, yeah, everything's all good in this household. <laughs> 
Uh, mate, the Olympics and the Paralympics have been pushed back to 2021, which is something that I, I guess had to happen. What effect has that had on you and, and your preparation? Yeah, so I train um, in an Olympics program um, as a Paralympic swimmer as well. Um, so, you know, all of us in the program were kind of watching the last few weeks unfold and, you know, we'd get to training every day and not know like what was going to happen. And it was really stressful um, because you were putting so much effort into something that you didn't know like what was going to happen to the Olympics or Paralympics and you didn't know what was going to happen to the rest of the world. Um, but, yeah, when we when we were told that it was going to be pushed back, um, I think we all just sat there in utter shock. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, we went over the, to Bronte's house uh, that night for some pizza and um, just spoke about, you know, what it's going to mean and kind of realised that, you know, like we're all professional athletes, um, we deal with, like, lots of different things and this is just another another I guess kick up the butt to make sure that we do the right things on break but for me like I was actually quite happy um it's not very well known news but I actually fractured my hip four weeks ago um and so I've spent the last two weeks before you know this isolation thing what worrying about the Paralympics being on and then mm. when it got postponed I was actually I think the only athlete in the country that was celebrating yeah um, I know Chloe Esposito was celebrating too because she's obviously announced that she was pregnant. Um, so, we were, yeah, I was very happy, very, very happy. How'd you yeah. manage that? How'd you manage the, the fracture? Uh, I guess I've got a fracture in a weird place in my hip. Just I just slipped over and I kind of um, fell into my prosthetic leg like I was proposing to somebody. Yeah. Um, and just the force of the – I went all the way out through my socket, my fiberglass socket, and it kind of snapped my hip in a weird mm. spot. Ouch. Um, yeah, it hurt a lot, actually. I knew I'd done something bad the second I fell over because I felt like I wanted to throw up um, and was like, oh, that's not good. Um, so it was on my right hip, which is great because that's the side I'm missing my leg on. Mm. Um, and so I could still go to the gym and I was still swimming. I was only doing three kilometers a session, but like I was still in the water. Yeah. Um, but I knew that it was going to be a while until I could, you know, put a racing suit on or dive again or sprint again. And that, you know, nationals was coming up and then the Olympics and Paralympics were happening and yeah, everything's good though. So it silver lining. Well. Yeah. Silver lining there for you. Big time. Like, I'm the luckiest athlete in the world. Um, I actually fractured my foot back in 2015, and our world championships were postponed that year as well. So, um, yeah, I think I'm just, you know, got something obviously on my side mm -hmm. that uh, is very, very lucky, and I'm very grateful that, um, yeah, someone out there is taking care of me. <laughs> yeah. Mate, how have you and your coach, Simon, been staying connected? Have you been on Zoom? Have you been on WhatsApp? How, how are you guys and the team all staying connected? Yeah, it's, it's been funny uh, watching the other uh, people on the Australian swim team and how they're going about training. Um, so we do a Zoom spin class three times a week mm -hmm. um, and we're, we've got house party. And so <laughs> the guys in my squad have been connected through house party and WhatsApp. Um, we speak multiple times a day. So uh, I guess there's no less contact than there was before. Um, it's just now about finding different ways to train. Um, but, like, we're so lucky that we live in a day and age that has access to really good technology and so many different types of apps um, where, like, we're all alone, but we don't necessarily have to feel like we're alone. Yeah, um, yeah it's great. I love it. <laughs> I, I definitely I agree with you, and I think things are going to change moving forward. When everything does go back to normal, these sort of Zoom meetings and stuff, I think maybe not as frequently, but I, I think they will continue um, yeah. on down the track too. 
definitely. I'm up for a house party any any day of the week. <laughs> Mate, what is house everyone? party? Because, you know, I'm old, I'm married, I've got a kid. What is house party? Can you explain well, it to me, please? I still can't really explain Snapchat, so you're probably asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> house party is like this app. It's kind of like FaceTiming, but you get to play like um, card games and whatnot, like Pictionary okay. with one another. So yep. it's just adds that extra element of fun. Bit of fun. Um, I tried to get – I'm the uh, the team captain for our swim team, yep. Paralympic swim team, and I tried to get the entire Paralympic swim team on house party last Friday night, and only five people showed up. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah, I'm going to keep pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, so many uh, junior athletes and coaches out there listen to this podcast at the moment, and then, you know, they're all going into their own – dryland programs and stuff like that at the moment now at home give us a little insight into into what you get up to you just said then you you've got a spin class that you guys do what else are you doing outside of that yeah so um we do our spin class three times a week um i'm actually currently doing the uh chris hemsworth six-week challenge Mm. um i I think my wife would like me to do that too oh mate it's the best (laughs) you get a um little message from chris hemsworth at the end of every week um it's not personalized or anything (laughs) but it's good enough (laughs) i've gotten bronzy onto that and so uh we text each other that morning like which workout we're doing so it's kind of like we're working out together um but it's really tough like i struggle to get through it um so i do that every day so that's about 40 minutes of work um as well as uh on the exercise bike and then we also have a lot of free weights we um, are currently doing weight programs through our in Swiss uh, strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we're still getting our heart rates up to maximum every single day and um, keeping fit and strong. And, like, I really don't see our squad having any problems once the pools open up again because we're all actually, like, genuinely trying to keep as fit as we can. Mm. Um, it, but it's really nice just being able to pick when you do your um, exercise programs. Yeah. Like, you don't have to do it at 6 in the morning. You can do it at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Um, I, li- I like it. <laughs> yeah, a bit more freedom. Yeah, although there's not much freedom because we're bound to our houses. Uh, but that's true. It's freedom in one way, that's for sure. Now, one of the reasons, yeah. mate, I love doing this podcast and interviewing athletes um, is that I'm constantly learning things that I didn't know before. And, and it's happened again here with you and researching for this interview. Now, firstly... You have a twin sister, Brittany. Uh, yeah, Brittany she Melbourne is the best. Is her first is her full name, and she's a skeet mm-hmm. shooter, which I didn't know. So naturally, I've got a few questions from that. Firstly, okay. how do you go Fire with away. a gun? No pun. Yeah, no oh, pun. With a definitely. Gun. Yeah, how do you I go am... with a gun? Oh, so my sister actually got into um, skeet shooting because my parents met in the army reserves, and um, one of their mates from the army reserves was into shooting. So we kind of have been doing it since we were like really young um so you'd think i would be good but i'm terrible um (laughs) (laughs) mainly because i shoot with my eyes closed which is actually quite common um because the gun like provides quite a strong kickback Mm. and so it's like that anticipation it's really scary um but yeah i couldn't hit you if you're standing right in front of me (laughs) (laughs) not that i would try My second question is, how did your sister go in the pool? Um, so everyone in my family went through Land to Swim at the King's Swimming Clubs. Um, she's okay. Like, she's not the greatest, but swimming is one of those things, like, you never really forget how to swim. But yeah. 
if you don't swim very often, like it's quite a shock to the system with the fitness. Yeah. Um, but she's uh, just before the virus hit was um, starting to swim a couple of times a week. Um, and, you know, she was messaging me saying that she'd gone from 500 meters to 1,000 meters and uh, she was really working on it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she still loves it, but she's just not the greatest at it. <laughs> like, I'm not the greatest at shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you have that thing and I'll have this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, how's she handling the, the Olympics being put back? Um, so she actually was just announced uh, a week and a half ago that she did not make the Olympic okay. team. Um, yeah. So she, I think, qualified third, um, but they're only, unfortunately, taking one shooter. Um, um, so her next goal is the Commonwealth Games. Um, so she's all fine, obviously, with the Olympics being postponed. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's got a good goal in mind now. Fantastic. She'll be fine. <laughs> now, mate, another thing I learned about you upon my research is that you played wheelchair basketball. Talk to us about yeah. uh, what drew you into that. Um, so I just went to a come and try day with one of my Paralympic basketball friends um, and absolutely loved it. I, I was looking at retiring from swimming in 2012 mm. um, and wanted to stay fit and stay social. And so I was kind of, I think it was about six months after the Paralympics finished, I um, went to a come and try day and fell in love with the sport um, and then ended up playing for Victoria for, I think, two or three seasons. Um, and fun fact, I won Basketball Australia's Best New Talent that year. <laughs> there you go. Um, I was very aggressive at, at playing, but I just could not get the ball in the hoop. Like, that's the, kind of the point of basketball. <laughs> I yeah, know that. That's what I've heard. But it's really, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> such a small hoop and such a big ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun though. Um, but once I decided I wanted to swim again, I had to kind of give that up because it's a lot on the shoulders um, and so swimming. So I couldn't do both. <laughs> Mate, let's I get still it. got my basketball chair though. So maybe I'll dust it off one day. One day. One day. Yeah. The big comeback. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Mate, let's get into the swimming now and, and where your career began. Talk to us about the earliest memories of swimming for you and, and why you were put into swimming. I love talking about swimming, so watch out, um, which is good because this is a swimming podcast. Um, the earliest memories, earliest memories I have of swimming is probably the same as everybody else, um, being in swimming lessons. Um, so I started swimming lessons actually for rehabilitation after I had my leg amputated from cancer at um, the age of three. And, yeah, I went around in circles for quite a while, mm. um, as you would, and then um, just fell in love with swimming. Um, kind of just did the lessons because that's what you do in Australia. Um, you know, I lived on the ocean, on the beach virtually, so I had to know how to swim. Um, and then when I graduated from Learn to Swim, I had to decide if I wanted to do squad swimming. And I remember, I remember the day so well when mum asked if I wanted to do squad swimming and I told her I wanted to be a ballerina, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and she told me that I should, I remember still sitting at the table that I should just go and try like a squad session. Yeah. It was like a come and try day. Um, and I went to it and my coach, um, Russell Parsons met me at the pool and, um, absolutely fell in love with the sport of swimming like I just wanted to go to squad sessions all day, every day. Um, but I was the only kid there that had a disability or that was a, like a, um, a potential Paralympic athlete rather mm. than training for like the Olympics. Yeah. Um, and like, so I was slower than everybody there. And 
all I wanted to do was be the best person at squad training at like the age of eight. Um, and I worked really hard and be, ended up uh, becoming one of the fastest kids in my squad um, and missing an entire limb. So I think that's why I became a successful swimmer was because like it didn't matter if I had one leg or two. I just wanted to be the, like the first one back at the wall. I mm. sprinted everything at training. I was one of those kids. <laughs> <laughs> But did you have yeah. any heroes growing up? Any swimmers you looked up to? Uh, like it was around the 2000 era when I was growing up. So um, I was a big fan of like, you know, the, the Speedo girls like Lisa Jones and Brooke Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely loved Jan Rooney and Grant Hackett. Like oh, I remember the first time I saw every single one of those people in the flesh and like I remember the feeling of my stomach dropping because I was just so excited just to be in their presence it's like they honestly emitted like some kind of light around them. Like I just completely ignored everything that I was doing because I knew exactly where each one of those swimmers were at the pool at any given time. Like love them. Mm. <laughs> I still do. Well, yeah. mate, I, I think, you know, you're a um, bit younger than me, but similar, you know, anytime, you know, interviewing you guys is, is awesome. And I love the chat and stuff like that. But anytime, you know, I've had Libby on and Gian and um, Jess Shipper and, Anytime these guys come on, I'm all of a sudden, it's like a, you know, big celebrities on and I'm like, oh, I'm a lot more nervous yeah. and I'm, you know, making sure I I'm do- cross my T's and dotted my I's. And, so I, remember I, I, being at a swimming, I remember being at a swimming competition when I was about 12 and Gian Rini was doing her um, physio exercises with a TheraBand and like a bit popped off a TheraBand and flew across like the little walkway and yep. it hit me in the head <laughs> and I was in the, I was in the warm-up pool <laughs> And I looked at my friend and I was like, oh, my gosh, Gian Rooney's TheraBand bit just hit me in the head. And I, like, got out and I gave it to her. And I told my swimming club about that whole story and it made our newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Did she apologize at least? Oh, she's lovely. I told her about it since and she thought it was hilarious that I still remember it because she doesn't and why would she? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, around what age did swimming start to get a bit more competitive for you? Um, so I was probably around about the age of 12 or 11 or 12, um, when I started wanting to make like national qualifying times because like for a Paris swimmer, uh, national qualifying times actually weren't that difficult back in like the, uh, like 2004 era, um, because there weren't that many Paris swimmers around. Mm. And so like, I got to really take advantage of that. And I think I made my first nationals when I was about 13 years old and that was like open nationals. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I just really wanted to go because, uh, a couple of my Paralympic mates who were training with me, um, were going to nationals and like, I wanted to go with them because we had a lot of fun on the road together. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of started really training hard probably about the age of 11 or 12 um, and then made nationals at like 12. So, yeah, was <laughs> all I wanted to do was be a Paralympian after that. <laughs> was there anything that you had to change or anything that sort of clicked for you to, and, to make that step, to make that next level? Um, I think it was more just about like increasing the amount of training sessions that I was doing because when I wasn't too serious, I was only swimming twice a week. Um, and then I remember I stepped it up to six or seven sessions a week at that time. Mm. Um, so it was kind of like doing it as a hobby initially, um, and a good way of being social. So all of a sudden, like, no, I'm going to be at the pool every day. Um, and my coach at the time, Russell was really great in like making sure that you always set goals at training. So 
like you would always leave the pool and you would have learnt something, like yeah. whether it be better at tumble turning or better at streamlining or not breathing on the first stroke. Um, and so, like, I really made sure that when I got home, like, I could genuinely say that I did something better that day. Um, and that kind of, like, mentality has always carried through with me, even to this day. Like, I will never just go to training and just swim up and down. Like, you won't, won't meet many Olympic or Paralympic athletes that do that anyway. But mm. I learned that from, like, the, the get-go pretty much. Yeah. As a young swimmer coming through the squad, kids tend to have some bad habits. Um, and I want to go through a few with you just now and just to see if, <laughs> if you, you know, did any of these growing up and, and that way, you know, some of the kids listening might be able to go, oh, okay, see, they did it and they still got there. So I'm gonna Oh, man, give, I love this podcast. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, uh, you know, the, the sentence and then you say yes or no whether you did this. So firstly, pulling on the lane rope in backstroke. Yes, all the time. <laughs> what about, like all the time. What about, do you get in trouble for it though? Yeah, but you've got to choose your moments. Like mm. if your coach is walking in the opposite direction that you're swimming in, he's going to have his back to you for that whole lap. So <laughs> Very sneaky. What about um, toilet breaks mid-set but to have a rest though? Every butterfly set. <laughs> I would have one every single day, but I would make sure I timed it for the hardest part of the set. And that, I did that up until I was about 16. I remember one time a kid – I was coaching, said he had to go to the toilet, and he was in there for ages. I thought, where's he bloody gone? I went in, he was having a shower. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, oh, oh, sorry, he says. Yeah, hurry up. Um, what about being last to get in the pool? No, uh, like we always had this thing, if you were last in the pool, you had to do push-ups, so mm. never. Very good. What about yeah. knowing, uh, not knowing, sorry, what's coming up on the set because you weren't really paying attention? No, I was never one of those kids. I guess I always kind of led the lane, so I needed to know. So you're switched on. I was very switched on, yes. And I even, in fact, I offered suggestions to the coaches, which they didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the you were the swimmer that the others, those people that I'm talking about, look at and go, Ellie, what are we doing? Yeah, mm. yeah, and I usually add a set on, or I make it harder. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> hated me. Yeah. <laughs> Now, mate, you compete under the S9 category. Um, for everyone out there who isn't familiar with the Paralympic classifications, what does S9 mean? Um, so in Paralympics, you have 10 physical classifications. So it ranges from S1 to S10. And S1 is being like the having the uh, biggest impairment in the water. And then S10 is having the least impairment in the water. And so as a leg amputee, I'm considered to be like on the, the least disabled side. Mm. Um, and so I race against other people who have a similar impairment to me. So everyone that's S9 is usually missing a leg below their knee or missing an arm gen gen generally. Yeah. Um, but you can have other disabilities in that as well. So they try to make it as fair as they can, um, but it can be quite controversial, uh, particularly with like cerebral palsy, uh, people have cerebral palsy because um, if you like present yourself as an athlete with cerebral palsy and then you work hard and you train hard, then your symptoms might not be as bad. Mm. And so they might change your classification, but it's not because of your disability. It's because you've worked hard. Mm. And so like it can be really confusing sometimes, but my classification is generally pretty clear cut. Like if you are missing a leg, you're missing a leg. Like yeah. that's not going to come back. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm in the luckier classification, I think, where it's a bit more stable. Mm. 
Mate, you started competing in 2003, as we said, and only five years later you qualify for your first Paralympics in Beijing, which is massive. Um, what was your first Games experience like? Uh, so I was the youngest person on the Paralympic team. Um, by the time I arrived onto the team, like it was quite clicky um, because I, everyone was in their 20s and I was 14. Yeah. Um, but people were so welcoming. It was really great. Uh, but I was like s such an oblivious athlete. Like I did take it seriously to some point, but at the same time, like I was there to enjoy myself. Um, I really wanted to win a Paralympic medal and I achieved that. But at the same time, like I was one of those athletes that kind of did everything 98% right. So like instead of doing like a 1500 swim down, I do, you know, 1300 swim down. Yep. Um, I wasn't crossing my T's like I should have been. Um, and so I worked really hard going into the London Paralympics for that. But going to Beijing, like I was just kind of, I wasn't there for the ride, but like I was, didn't really know what to expect. Like I was really excited to be there. You know, I was getting distracted by like every single person that was there. Like <laughs> I was going to the McDonald's at the village and getting myself like a chocolate frappe every day. Um, and my coach had to kind of rein me in on that. But, um, like, I was just there to have fun and to, like, experience this awesome life experience because I kind of thought I was going to retire after Beijing and I just wanted to experience something amazing like that and take away a lot of good memories. And I did, but at the same time, like, I was 16 um, and I do look back and wish that I had done things differently because, like... I, I felt like those couple of years there, I wasn't doing the right thing completely and I could have gotten a better performance out of myself. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was an, it was so much fun. I loved it. Like I got the bug there um, and I'm still around and it's, what, 14 years later. <laughs> Mate, still kicking, still killing it. Um, still kicking. 2012, the London Paralympics, and you have an amazing meet. And as you said, you sort of learned some lessons from, from Beijing that you've taken into here. This is probably your most successful games so far. Mm -hmm. uh, one story from the meet um, that I took away was you beating your idol, Natalie yeah. Detroit. Is that how you say it? Detroit, I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not European. Tomatoes, or, tomatoes. Or South African. Um, but you, you knock her off in the 100 backstroke um, and you've stated that to you she was like the Michael Phelps of, of Paris swimming. What was it like beating your hero at the Para Games? Um, it was on, oh, like I just got, literally just got goosebumps. Um, <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, so like you said, well, like I said, um, I learned a lot of lessons out of Beijing and I was like the perfect athlete going into London um, and like especially the two years leading into the London Games. Like I didn't miss a training session. Like I was giving everything I had um, and the results showed once I got to the Games. I, I came away from London with four gold medals um, and I beat my idol in 100 back and 100 free. Mm. Um, it was such a great experience but it was bittersweet because – um, she'd had such a wonderful career. You know, she'd been to an Olympics and a Paralympic Games in Beijing. Um, she was one of the very few athletes that was good enough to swim at the Olympic Games. Um, yet she had announced that she was going to be retiring after the London Paralympics. Yeah. And it was kind of like her, her, you know, swan moment where she was going to retire and she was going to be known as the best Paralympic athlete ever. Um, and... It was kind of supposed to be her moment, yet 
you know, at a Paralympic Games, you try to do the best that you can. That's right. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I, I beat her, but I felt really guilty about it. <laughs> um, and I kind of still still feel guilty to this day, but I know I did the right thing by giving everything that I had. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I just feel for her. You know, she had such a wonderful, um, unbeatable career, yet, like, right right when she got to the finish line, she was beaten. Um, and I was the person to do it, and it kind of made me feel a little guilty. But it was amazing, um, you know, getting to show that medal to every single person that had helped me throughout the last, uh, the previous few years. Mm. Um and one of my coaches uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor right before I left for London. And coming home from that games and um, being able to put my gold medal around his neck and seeing how happy he was was like that made it all worth it. Yeah, nice for moment. Sure. It was really nice. I think about that a lot. And other than that race and and those moments, do you have any other highlights that stand out to you from London? Um, like a lot of my highlights from. London were to do with like other athletes, um, you know, watching them and knowing their stories and watching them be successful, whether it was with personal best times or medals. Um, it was just like Australia just performed so well. Mm. And it was just like this little bubble that we had where everybody felt like superheroes um, for an entire week. And I know that I'm never going to have like a week that happy again in my entire life. Um, but, yeah, I think back to those memories a lot, and they're very fond memories. Um, and I'm very, very lucky that I got to experience uh, those two weeks. Right, following London, you have two shoulder reconstructions and must have been a pretty difficult period for you to go through. For all the listeners out there, and, you know, they're all going through their own struggles and, and are going to go through their own struggles, what kept you motivated through through that period to keep going? Um, so I did have two shoulder reconstructions, which is not fun when you're already missing a leg. Mm. <laughs> I had like one limb left that worked properly, and that was my left leg, and that was it. Um, but I hated swimming after the London Games. I had a really... Um, rough lead in with uh, coaching changes. Um, I had a coach who I didn't agree, uh, I guess, with his approach to training. Um, and that's why I actually needed shoulder reconstructions after the games. Mm. And I, I actually, um, I saw, I saw a psychologist after the London games and I was diagnosed with trauma. Like I had post-traumatic stress from, my experience um, leading into the games, like I couldn't look at a glass of water without wanting to cry. Um, wow. So, like, yeah, it was a really tough year for me mentally after the games because I was struggling so much with the idea that I hated a sport that I loved for so long. Mm. Um, but I got into swim coaching while I was having my shoulder reconstructed and it was the best job in the world. Like I... I understand why you do it. I, yeah. I would have done it for free. Like I really love coaching and I still do. Mm. Um, and I was coaching this young boy who was had so much talent and he would come in every single day and complain about how his mum was making him train. Um, and I remember I just said to him one day that he was really lucky that he could be in the water and that him and I had worked really hard to get to him to a point where he was. Um, and that he should feel grateful that he had a mum who, 
you know, cared enough for him to get out of bed at stupid o'clock in the morning and drive him to the pool. Yeah. And then I kind of, as I was saying these words to one of my athletes, I was kind of thinking like, you, you know, you should be grateful that you had those opportunities, Ellie. You know, you're lucky that you had those opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, you've worked, you worked really hard to be such a great athlete and you're kind of going to throw it away. Um, so it's kind of like I was talking to him, but it was like I was talking to myself <laughs> as well. Yeah. And it was like this light bulb moment where I was just standing on the side of the pool reprimanding one of my athletes <laughs> <laughs> where I kind of realized that I had such a wonderful career and I had a, I did have a lot of good memories from London. And, like, I was just going to throw all that away. And then, you know, so I kind of got back in the pool a couple of weeks after that and I never looked back. And I'm really glad I got back in because I've had such a great last few years. It's been wonderful. No, oh, mate, absolutely. And, you know, something we're going to go into now is just world records and, and that's something you've been lucky enough to, to have a few of. Uh, for average Joe like me sitting on the lounge watching you guys do it and, and you know, just being mesmerized by these unbelievable swims, what does it feel like for you knowing that you're the fastest woman in the world for your classification at that time when you touch and you look up and you know you've just knocked off the world record? <laughs> I don't think like we necessarily sit there and think, wow, I'm the fastest person in the world for my classification right now. But one of the things I was most excited about is like when you swim a world record time, you, you don't expect that you're going to necessarily do that. Mm. Um, so like whenever you see someone that has swum a really good time, whether it's a world record or not, my favorite ever thing to do is look at their reaction, like their surprise reaction. Um, and everyone in the crowd, when they're watching that person and that surprise reaction, like they can't just help but smile. Yeah. Um, like I love seeing other people do it. I love doing it myself, even though I haven't swum a good time for quite a while. <laughs> but um, like it's just a feeling that you just don't get anywhere else in the world. But one of the greatest things about the world record that I broke is that it was held by my idol that I grew up with. Mm. Um, and like I'd won a Paralympic gold medal before, but I'd never, ever beaten one of her times. Um, and so for me to beat one of Natalie's times was like kind of a bit of validation for me that I wasn't just a fluke athlete yeah. um, that just like went to a games and had a really good competition. Like I had worked really hard um, at maintaining that level for quite a number of years and was rewarded with a world record time. So yeah, like it was kind of one of those moments where I ticked off that last thing on my list that I wanted to do in my swimming career. Now here in the show, I like to give the listeners a bit of an insight into how an elite swimmer and its uh, their coach put together a race plan. Take us inside, say, for example, your 100 backstroke and, and what a race plan sounds like. Well, actually, it was quite funny. For my The first time I saw my 100-meter backstroke world record was my first world championships after coming back from a shoulder, the shoulder reconstructions. And so I think it was about one year post-shoulder recos. Um, and I was at this world championships. I hadn't really competed for a year and a half. Um, and my coach said to me, uh, I really want you holding water in the first 50. And then if you feel really good, just come home as hard as you can. Mm. That was honestly my race plan. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I, I did it in a heat swim. I felt really good at my first 50. And so I remember on my second lap, I was just concentrating on keeping my body position high making sure that I was catching the water and kind of not just spinning my arms over mm. um, and touched the wall and had that shocked reaction where I'd done a world record. Um, so 
Like it was a race plan as simple as that. Yeah. And I don't think good races necessarily come down to like perfecting or like making sure that you're hitting your race plan on the tee. I think good races come from creating good habits in training. Mm. Um, and so that when you get to your race, those habits are already so solidified that you don't even need to think about how you're going to swim because your body is so trained in executing a good race that it just like you kind of just give yourself to your body yeah um and that's like people ask why swimmers get in the pool and swim countless hours each day and it's to be able to perfect the technique to a point where you don't even have to think about it anymore Mm. um so it was kind of like i think you know the shoulder reconstructions like when they happened it was a blessing in disguise because i had to work really hard on my technique coming back from those yeah um, and so I was focused so much on my technique in the year leading into that world championships that I had amazing technique. Um, and yeah, it paid off at the end with a world record. And that's what you put the injuries down to most, you know, most is, is the technique and maybe some deficiencies there. Yeah. And it's also just lazy swimming. Um, so for me, I actually got my injury from doing a, uh, 10, 10 kilometer training sessions in one week. I was wow. doing a hundred K week. God it was damn. the worst week. It was the worst week of my life. <laughs> the last, the last 30 kilometers I had, I was crying tears into my goggles. Um, but imagine. after swimming a hundred Ks in a week, your technique does fall apart. Mm. Um, so it was, I think my injury came from doing that. Mm. Um, and just swimming really lazy technique for 30 kilometers, but it just goes to show what bad, bad technique can do to your shoulders. Um, so I make sure that, when I get in the pool now, I'm warmed up properly. I'm, you know, I'm concentrating on my technique all the time because it's really important. Absolutely. Mate, we talked about, you know, having good habits just there. Talk to me about some of your pre-race habits, any routines you go through, um, you know, trying to get yourself into the right headspace. I mean, you know, different people have different things, horses for courses. Some people like to get really pumped up and, you know, listen to angry music. Some people stay cool, calm and collected. You know, what what do you like before a race? It's interesting listening to people's like pre-race habits. Um, like I know you've had Alicia Coots on the show before and I used to live with her. Yeah. And I remember she used to lift her eyelids up and blow air up into her eyelids and that was her <laughs> pre-race little thing. And so I'd be watching her race yeah. and I would watch her like, cover her um, eyes with her hands and I'd be like, oh, it's go time. Like she's ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, for me, I like to be relaxed. Um, yeah. So very opposite of what a lot of other athletes are. Um, and so I find if I'm, you know, too amped up, I get really anxious um, and I start getting like really shaky and mm. I can't really hold myself together very well. Um, it was really interesting. I went to world championships last year in London and um I was so overly stimulated that I had to listen to a meditation track in the marshalling room to <laughs> calm me down. And so, like, everyone had their headphones on, everyone was shadow boxing, and yeah. I'm sitting in the corner of the room meditating. Like, <laughs> so after I've been racing for what, almost 20 years, like, I still have to work through those um, processes. Mm. Um, and it's still a learning curve. But um, yeah, it's amazing how in tune an athlete is with their body in the lead up to a race. Like, yeah. Are you, are you yeah. superstitious? Any super, any things, any rituals that you have to do before a race? Or No, I'm not superstitious in the slightest. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> I really like listening to other people's superstitions, though. What's the weirdest one you've heard? 
Uh, to be honest with you, the thing I'm listening, I'm hearing more often now, um, and especially I guess as as we're getting um, more sp- sports psychologists coming in and, and being involved, is is people are you know trying to stay away from all that. Um, I was talking to Karina Lee, um, our ten kilometer open water champion, mm. the other oh, a month ago, and she was saying you know she used to um, you know watch a certain movie before her big races, and then. All of a sudden, you know, she had a bad race and then she's like, oh, well, I can't watch that anymore. So then, you know, she'd have to move on to something else. So I think what I'm starting to to learn through these podcasts is that people are sort of tending to stay away from any rituals or routines now because, you know, if it doesn't go to plan, well, what do you got next? Yeah, I've heard that a lot too. And I remember growing up as a junior athlete, um, we had like pre-race routine drilled into us, like, more than anything else like you need a pre-race routine you need to practice your pre-race routine but then you know if you're at a competition and something out of that pre-race routine doesn't go right um then your ability to adapt to a ever-changing situation all of a sudden just goes out the window Mm. um so i think like as an athlete learning to be adaptable um kind of embracing things when they go wrong is more of an important approach yeah um because like things go wrong all the time um, and if you can just kind of take a breath and say, oh yeah, I've been through something like this before and I got through it, then you're going to approach a race like probably uh, a lot more collected than you would otherwise. Absolutely, mate. I'll give you props there, keeping me on my toes, asking me a question back. I wasn't ready for that, but uh, I think I handled myself okay. Um, I think you did great. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you train at Knox with uh, Simon Cusack. How has the change been for you coming back to Sydney? Um, it has been the best move of my life. So uh, I don't know if many of your listeners would know of Simon Cusack, but he is probably what, what I would consider one of the most successful um, swimming coaches in the country. Mm-hmm. And I actually think he's very different to a lot of swimming coaches that I know. Um, so a lot of coaches that I have dealt with in the past have been like very energetic, like like a lot of fun in terms of like they're they're full of life. Um, whereas Simon is like the most cool, calm and collected cucumber you have ever come across in your life. Like I have never seen him raise his voice. I've never seen him get overly excited. Like he is the most relaxed guy in the world. Um, his favorite things to do is to tell dad jokes at training. Um, especially like when I'm doing chin ups or something, he tries to make me laugh a lot. Um, but yeah, it's been a really great move. Um, he's the kind of coach where, in his program all of the athletes are 100 percent accountable for what they do and so like if you turn up to training and you don't do a good job you're not going to get yelled at for that but it's going to be questions are kind of going to be asked like what are you going to do to change Mm -hmm. um so everyone in my program does the right thing pretty much 100 percent of the time um and it's not because like we have a fear of being yelled at or anything it's just because we're all professional athletes and we all want to be the best in the world yeah. Um, it's a really, really good culture to be around. Um, I love it. I really do. It's more owning your results, I guess. Yeah. So like at a competition, if you do a bad race, the only person you can blame is yourself. And that's mm. kind of the way I've always liked to race anyway. Yeah. Um, and he is more of like a, like a guidance than anything. Um, it's a real like it's a really great relationship i think that he has with all of his athletes like he really does guide us and like you know he he does like care about our well-being but he also cares about how we do as athletes and like 
if we have a problem with our training environment, he will do everything he can to change that. Mm. Um, he's really, really great. Mate, funny thing about dad jokes, I'll tell you that when we're saying them, we don't know they're dad jokes. We genuinely think they're funny jokes. <laughs> so I know, and it's always funny because people laugh at, at the person, like the jokes' reaction yeah. more than the actual joke because the person who tells the joke is the only one laughing. My, my swimmers <laughs> are constantly like rolling their eyes and I'm thinking this is going to be gold, you know, you tell the joke and they're like, really? You thought that was going to be funny? And they go, oh. He he tells a lot of jokes where you don't know that it's a joke until he delivers a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what do you get Good. up to away from the pool? What does Ellie Cole do when uh, when she's not swimming? Um, well, I just graduated uni, which is really exciting. Congratulations! Um, so I, thank you. I graduated uh, end of last year um, with a bachelor of health and exercise science, um, and that degree took me nine years to complete. Um, mm. Yeah, so I kind of I moved around so much with swimming that I moved unis three or yeah. four times, and God, yeah, it just takes forever. But it uh, definitely gave me something to do while I was training. Um, so I actually wasn't planning on doing any further study this year because of Tokyo. Um, but now Tokyo has been pushed back. I'm thinking of maybe doing some business course or something to keep me occupied. Mm. Um, so apart from like doing the education, uh, I don't work or anything, um, but I do a lot of like things at home that gets me ready for training um, yeah. because we tr we train – my squad is uh, older athletes. We're all in our 20s. And so some days we train from like 8 until 11. Um, so it can take up our whole day with physio and massage and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to hold down a job, but – uh, yeah, I just do things around my apartment to get me ready for training, whether it's like cooking meals or like just preparing myself. Um, but yeah, pretty much my entire day revolves around getting ready for training. Mate, what about movies or books? What's, what do you prefer? Oh, I'm really bad at movies. Um, I'm going to say books. Books? What's, what's, yeah. Do you prefer like stories or autobiographies? What, what are you into? Autobiographies, big time. Big time. Um, I find like... I really like reading autobiographies because I like to learn about like the lessons that people have learnt throughout mm. their life and yeah. like their, their true lessons. Um, one of my favourite autobiographies actually is Liesl Jones's book. Have you read that? I started reading. I do have it. Um, and then as you know, if, I'm so lazy with that sort of stuff. So even like with this, you know, we're self-isolated, right? So people say, oh, my wife said to me the other day, you know, you've got a few books up there. Why don't you get stuck into it? I think, oh, yeah. And I just never get around to it. But maybe oh, okay. you, I should. I should since you're, you're pumping up its tires. It was a good book. Oh, it's a great book. Yeah. I really like, I really love autobiography. Yelena Dokic's autobiography is really good too. She's been through a lot in her wow, life. Wow, that would be um, a story to I, read. Yeah, I really like reading about athletes who have been through like something exceptional in their life, like outside of their sport as well yeah. because – like, you know, like being an athlete's hard enough, but when you're dealing with other things, it can be really tough. And mm. to learn about how other people got through that, like it's really great. Yeah, it's a good book. Another good book is uh, Libby Trickett's. I've got that and I've started it. Again, I've started it. It's just a constant theme for me. But I, um, <laughs> but what I was reading was, was brilliant. So um, I'm going to keep going with that one. So Libby Trickett's. Oh, I love her. I've listened to pretty much every single podcast that Libby Trickett has been on. Yeah, she was, a, to, you know, to interview, she was so easy to interview um, and I, I got to go to a house too, which, you know, was Ooh, for me. Was I met her kids? 
Yeah, well, this was this was uh, 2018, so Eddie was like, you know, super tiny and, um, you know, she was sitting in her lap while we we're doing the interview, just sleeping. Luckily for me, because otherwise that interview could have could have taken a turn if she was woke up and hungry. But um, yeah, no, no, it really could have. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I even think she was like, all right, you know, we're going to get through this. But her book would be great too because she speaks about what sports like after, yeah. um, and all of her postnatal depression and mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's been through a lot too. Yeah, so like, I would love to hear her her book. Yeah, mm. she is brilliant, mate. What What are your plans moving forward from here with swimming? Do you have a rough idea of how much longer you you want to keep going? Um, I really want to go until the next Commonwealth Games at least. Yeah, um, it's re- it's really hard to say as an athlete because like I find a lot of athletes who are my age. Um, tend to either retire after games, which I'm not ready to do, yeah. or they just get to training one day and they just say, I'm done. Um, and I haven't gotten to that stage yet. So yeah. to me, it's just one of those sports where it's just, I don't know, once you start, you just can't stop. Yeah, it's like Pringles. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, it really is. Uh, we we train next to a master's squad on uh, Friday mornings. And um, like I always tell them, like, I'm going to be in your squad soon. I just feel it. <laughs> but, like, even once I finish competitive swimming, I know I'm going to jump straight into master's training. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just absolutely love this sport. And it's given me so much, especially, like, swimming is one of the only sports that I can really do being an amputee that, like, you can't tell that I'm an amputee when I'm swimming. Mm. Um, like, people wouldn't know. Like yeah. it's one of those various sports where I have the same amount of freedom as everybody else. Like in athletics, I'd have to get a, you know, professional blade to run on. Mm. Whereas in swimming, I can just pop my leg off, dive in, swim 10K. <laughs> that 100 kilometers. No, nah, I'm not doing that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Don't recommend. Uh. <laughs> Mate, life after swimming, have you put much thought into it? Um, where it might take you? I know we talked about before you know you did a bit of coaching um and and you really enjoyed it yeah i I love coaching i really want to look down um that avenue uh also looking down the media avenue um so i've been speaking a little bit to uh some people from channel seven about that um and yeah coaching uh really like the idea of that i just want to stay in sport and i don't really mind what capacity it's in Mm. um but I never want to leave the kind of sport arena. Um, so whether I'm working as a coach or as an administrator or in commentating or anything like that, I uh, just want to be around it as much as I can because athletes are just the best. Oh, they really are. Yeah. Uh, I agree, mate. And, and, you know, I'm doing this podcast because um, of how much enjoyment I get out of talking to athletes as well. So I think you, you'd kill that sort of a job as well. Um, yeah, you're you're a great idea doing a swimming podcast. I'm jealous of you. Like, what a great idea! Wait, get into it. I, I think you you could you do a great podcast yourself. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'll stay away from swimming. You've already did that. Well, I was going to say, why am I promoting <laughs> this? It's just going to give more competitors. And you've got a bigger name, so you'll take over mine straight away. Um, yeah, but you've got a good reputation, so. Uh, not that I'm saying I have a bad reputation, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Mate, I'm going to finish with um, a bit of fun. So, you know, you've been um, a mainstay of the Australian team now for a while. So I want to get a little bit more of an insight into the Australian team for the listeners out there. So um, oh, no. you've, you've heard this before, I'm assuming. So I'm hoping you've got a little bit of a, 
an idea of where where this is going to go. So I'm going to start the sentence and I want you to finish it with a name of a swimmer on the team you think it best suits. Can I go Olympic and Paralympic team, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So funniest person on the team is? Bronte Campbell. Bronte Campbell. You know, I heard, um, I heard she's, she's, a a, she's a good poet as well. She's a great poet. She's great at everything. She's great at pottery. She's great at like painting. She's great at poetry. She's not good at cooking. Actually, no, she is good at cooking. I'm thinking about Kate. Kate's not good at cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what about the biggest pest on the team? Um, biggest pest on the team, I would have to say, would be Cole Pierce. Because it, first thing in the morning, if we're away on team, he comes into the breakfast hall and he's just a ball of energy and I'm not ready for that at, <laughs> at six in the morning. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> and he likes to he likes to rub you up when you know you're getting irritated at him as well. He's one of those guys. Good button pusher. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what about leader or leaders of the team? Um, I would have to say Jesse Ongles on the Paralympic team. Yeah. Um, He's great at just checking in with everyone, seeing how they're going. Um, very, Yeah, he's just great. He's a great leader. Best singer or dancer on the team? Oh, that's tricky. Um, oh, I'm just trying to think if there's anyone that actually plays music on – I know Braid and Jason plays the guitar, but I don't know what he's like at singing. Um, okay, I would have to say the best dancer would have to be Scooter. Do you know Scooter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where yeah, have you seen? He's well. I see him on the dance floor a lot. He's always <laughs> the first one out there. <laughs> In fact, he was dancing with Dawn Fraser at our last wow. um, swim review, and she went to do some kind of move, and he somehow ended up punching her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> How did Dawn go? Did she? Could she cut a rug? Oh, yeah, she's great. She rips it up. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what about the person who gives the best advice? Um, Kate Campbell. She's full of it. She's yeah. got so much good advice. It's crazy. She's the most insightful person I know. Fantastic. Kate Campbell. I'll write that down. All right. Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. Ellie, thank you so much for agreeing to come on for a chat. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I hope you have as well. I have too. Um, mate, good I really luck. Have. Good luck over the next few months with uh, training in isolation and staying motivated and ultimately, you know, getting back in the pool and securing your spot for 2021 in Tokyo. Thank you. I'll, I'll work hard at it. I'll get back onto my feet soon enough. Hopefully, I can wear my legs soon. I haven't been able to wear my legs for a month. Because oh, of the so, the fracture. Because of the hit. Yeah. yeah. It's just oh, it's tempting me, but got to stay on the crutches. <laughs> well, you got the time now. You've got the time. I know. Very lucky. All right. Well, stay safe, everyone. Mate, thank you very much for uh, coming on off the block swing podcast. All right. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Today's episode is proudly powered, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts. Massive thank you again to Ellie Cole for coming on the show. A very inspirational athlete, that's for sure, and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you missed the Michael Klim episode last week, then you missed hearing about his amazing offer, which is only to Off The Blocks listeners now, don't worry, because I'm a nice guy, I will let you in on that offer right now. Now, Michael and his team are very kindly given all Off The Blocks listeners 50% off his Milk & Co. products for men, women, children, 
All you have to do is visit the website at milkandcoat.com.au. Use the promotional code CLIMBLOCKS, which is K-L-I-M-B-L-O-C-K-S. Again, just visit that website, use that code, and you'll get 50% off all of your online products. So what are you waiting for? Go out and get shopping today. Now, our next episode drops this Friday, the very 1st of May, and features Gold Coast Butterfly and Olympic medalist, Mr. David Morgan. Cracking chat with an awesome guy and one I think you will not want to miss. Until then, though, please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay with us here on Off The Blocks, and we will get you through all of this with a big smile on your face. And it's bye for now. <laughs>